I'm going to invite you to open up your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. Uh, if you're at home uh, watching online, I'd love for you to grab your Bible and open up to Philippians chapter 4 and be ready to move around uh, to a couple of verses. And then we'll stand for the reading of God's Word and uh, then we'll dive right in. Uh, but with that in mind, we're looking at Philippians chapter 4. If you've got a blue hardback Bible, it's page 1166. So 1166 in that blue hardback Bible in the room. And then I'm going to start off at Philippians 4, and then I'm going to bounce around to just a few other passages. You don't have to keep up with me. We'll look at them later in the service. Uh, but friends and Christians, hear the word of the Lord to us this morning out of Philippians chapter 4. Uh, the Apostle Paul writes, starting in verse 6, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And I'm going to flip to John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. Jesus uh, tells his disciples these words, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And earlier in his ministry at the Sermon on the Mount, the world's greatest sermon ever preached, Jesus says these words. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. And then in the Old Testament, in Proverbs chapter 22, the Lord tells us these words, the prudent sees danger and hides himself. The simple, though, go on and suffer for it. Friends, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will endure forever. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Would you be seated as we pray and keep that Bible open in front of you to Philippians chapter 4. Let's pray, church. Uh, Father, we pray for the wisdom and the prudence and the compassion and the prayerfulness of your son, Jesus Christ, who gave for us an example of how to live in this life, but also did what we never could. And we live in light of his resurrection and we live in the light of his hope. In his name we pray. Amen. Uh, well, this past week has been uh, pretty extraordinary, wouldn't you say? Uh, I've read a lot of things, as I'm sure you have as well, and I came across uh, an article by a journalist and Christian named Andy Crouch. And of all the things I've read this past week, uh, this resonates with me the most. He wrote an article, uh, I'd love for you to read it, it's called Love in the Time of Coronavirus. <laughs> and uh, Andy Crouch writes these words, he says, uh, a definition of anxiety is simply this. Anxiety is imagining the future without Jesus in it. And then I would go on and I would add that worrying, worrying is living in the present today as if we can't follow Jesus daily. Anxiety is imagining a future without Jesus in it. And worrying is imagining the present and living in the present as if Jesus isn't on the throne. Uh, so with that in mind, uh, friends, I'm just going to give you a very simple sermon this morning. Uh, it's going to have three points, and they're all very simple. 
but I believe this is what we need to think about as a church and what we need to be preparing ourselves for. Uh, and it's very simple. The first point I want to offer to you uh, comes straight out of Philippians chapter 4, which is simply this. Uh, we as Christians, and I'm going to use that word very specifically, as people who know that Jesus Christ is back from the dead, who know that he was raised to life on the third day, who is going to one day return and make all things new, living in the light of what Jesus is doing and how he is alive. Uh, friends, it is paramount that you and I live by prayer and not panic. All right, that's point number one. If you're writing this down, friends, we have got to start living right now by prayer and not panic. Um, I don't know if you've been hearing all the crazy stories about the shortages at Costco and yellings and runnings. Um, you know, if you've experienced panic this week, um, you're not alone. A lot of people in our community have experienced panic. Maybe, maybe you're brave and you don't think there's anything wrong, but um, raise your hand in the room. I'm just curious, how many of you have seen someone panicking? <laughs> Anyone called your mother? Has she been panicking? Probably so, right? Uh, but as Christians, uh, we are uniquely called to live not by panic, but by prayer. And Christian, I mean, this is the time to remember the truths of the gospel. Uh, Jesus has ordained everything that is going to come to pass. Nothing surprises him. Uh, Jesus knew this was going to happen. And Jesus is not surprised. And he is going to work out all things for our salvation and for our good. And when it comes to responding, uh, you know, as Christians, as people who know Jesus Christ, panic is never our first option. Prayer is our first move. Prayer. So let me unpack that just a little bit. Well, look what Paul says in Philippians chapter 4. So um, it's hard for us to imagine uh, often how difficult life was in the ancient world. Uh, but if you remember anything about the life of Paul you know, the Apostle Paul, you'll remember that Paul was imprisoned and beaten uh, multiple times and uh, derided uh, even by his own church members sometimes. Uh, but he was often uh, persecuted for the sake of the gospel. And when Paul is writing the book of Philippians, uh, it's really a letter to the church in Philippi in Greece. He's writing a letter to a church. And what he says is profound because he's writing from a prison cell. Uh, life is not easy. Uh, Paul is not on sabbatical. Uh, he's not taking a day off. Um, he's not letting his assistant pastor preach for the week so he has time to write a letter, right? He's doing what? He's sitting in a prison cell, unsure of the direction of his life. And in fact, as church history will tell us, he goes on and he's martyred one day for his faith in Jesus Christ. And yet from a prison cell, Paul tells Christians what? Well, look at verse 6 in your lap in front of you. Now, hear Paul's voice from that prison cell. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And notice what Paul's saying. The hope that we have, the hope that our prayers are answered, uh, the hope that prayer offers is not in the emotional well-being that prayer gives. You know, if you listen to sociologists or people who study religion, they'll say, well, religion is good because it gives people community and it gives people a, a greater purpose. Uh, but friends, that couldn't be further from the truth of Christianity. Christianity is tied to historical reality. Jesus Christ walked out of the tomb. And if that's possible, 
anything is possible. And Jesus Christ is alive and he hears our prayers. And so this is what starts to guard our hearts and our minds. This is why we can start to be free from anxiety. Because nothing is surprising the Lord right now. Um, the question we need to be asking is not, well, what is the coronavirus up to? We need to be asking, what is the Lord up to right now? And so I know for some of you, you know, maybe you don't pray that often, but um, as your pastor, I would implore you with everything I have within me to pray as a family tonight. Uh, we need to be making prayer the first go-to. Um, there's going to be people panicking and there's things you can read online. But friends, um, in times of anxiety and stress, we as Christians, as Christ followers, turn primarily to prayer. Uh, so if you are married, um, I am imploring you on behalf of Jesus Christ, do not go to sleep tonight until you pray with your spouse. If you have children living in your home, if you have grandkids do not let your kids go to sleep until you pray as a family. If you're a husband in the room or listening online, now is the time to spiritually lead your family in a new way. Because I can guarantee you somebody in your family is probably a little stressed out or anxious. But friends, as you know, I often say that none of us are here by accident, right? You've probably heard me say that several Sundays but friends, I want to remind you that everything in your life has been preparing our church and you to respond to this. And I'm not saying it's going to be terrible and blowing it out of proportion. But what I am saying is Jesus Christ saw it fit to place you and me in the Rogue Valley right now. And we are either going to be the salt and the light of Jesus Christ or we're going to fail we're going to be like those people at Costco yelling and arguing. <laughs> if I hear that one of our deacons or elders punches out somebody at Costco, we're going to have a talk, okay? So how are we going to move to prayer? Well, um, I've suggested first off, if you have a family, you live with somebody, um, instill a new family tradition tonight to be praying as a family. Um, or maybe you and your spouse, you don't pray Maybe that's not a thing you and your spouse do. Well, guess what? It's time for a new family tradition. It's time for you to start praying. Um, secondly, um, when it comes to praying, this is going to get real basic. But if your mother is still alive, call your mother. <laughs> call your mom. And when you call your mom, what should you do? Pray with her. We as Christians, we go to prayer not panic. It's amazing what prayer can do. I know you've experienced that. Uh, we pray not because of the emotional benefits, although those are probably nice. We pray because we know Jesus Christ is alive. And also, I think we need to be moving to prayer. And I don't want to belabor the point or anything, but if you'll just entertain me, um, in the coming days and weeks, um, it's going to be very, very difficult uh, sometimes to make decisions. And so what I want to suggest to you, um, sort of point number two, if you will, if prayer is our first move, our second point is that I want us to embrace prudence and not pride. 
And what I mean by that is I'm sure you've seen people, probably like your mother if she's living, right? People very stressed out and panicking. And then on the total other end of the spectrum, there are people who are like, it's going to be fine. This is so overblown. And all these people who are, you know, at Costco, they're idiots, right? (laughs) Well, the problem with that, of course, is that Scripture is full, full. Proverbs is full of commands to be prudent, um, self-confidence is a rare commodity in the, in the Old Testament, okay? When you read Proverbs, it doesn't say trust in yourself because you're awesome. Over and over and over again, it'll say things like the prudent sees danger, but the simple go on and they suffer for it. Prudence is a wonderful, deeply biblical virtue. And it means making wise decisions, not out of panic, but out of prudence, out of wisdom. And there's two, there, there are going to be too many decisions for you to make, for me to explain how you and your family or you as an individual should operate over the next days and weeks. But as your pastor, I want to make a couple of things clear, I hope. Number one, if you see people panicking or stressed out or anxious, and maybe you're not prone to doing that, it is going to be very difficult for you to express the love and the compassion of Jesus Christ if you're looking down on others. Um, Just because you're not worried doesn't mean other people aren't worried. And it it shouldn't be lost on you that the last two sermons have been on stress, worry, and anxiety. And last week it was about facing death. Um, You have been prepared, not just throughout your life, but literally in the last two weeks to know how to respond to your neighbors, how to speak a word of hope of the gospel to them. And so when it comes to prudence and making these decisions, um, you know, not only should you be compassionate towards your neighbors who may be experiencing this without the hope of Christ, what I would suggest to you as a family is maybe you start reading Proverbs and you dive into becoming a more wise person right now because I think it's going to be more and more and more important that our families and our churches make wise decisions. And wisdom is very tricky. And what I mean by that is, uh, as Christians, you and I, over the next coming days and months, you and I are going to be faced with many and multiple seemingly good decisions or good options. And what I mean by that is, is it good for you to stock up on toilet paper so you have it? I guess so. A lot of people are doing it. Probably good because you don't want to avoid, you know, having to use, you know, old socks or anything, right? But at the same time, is it good for you to be calm and not overreact and not stress out, you know, the toilet paper supply chain? Probably. So that's just a minor silly example of just the type of decisions that you or your family are going to have to be making over the next days and weeks. So the mechanism that you have to make decisions is going to be tied to your ability to embrace biblical wisdom and prudence. And it's not always going to be immediately clear, Christian, how you are to operate and what decisions to make. So let me just sort of tie in maybe my first two points. Um, let me, I'll use an illustration from Jesus' life. So um, if you'll entertain me, uh, very, very early on in the Gospel of Mark, at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, in Mark chapter 1, something fascinating happens that um, I've always been, um, you know, just utterly amazed by. And at the beginning of Jesus's ministry in Mark chapter one, Jesus's mother-in-law is sick. And so Jesus goes, uh, excuse me, not his mother-in-law, his Peter's mother-in-law gets sick. And so Jesus goes 
to Peter's mother-in-law's home, and he heals her. And it's a beautiful story demonstrating to the disciples very early on that Jesus is no mere man. And it's awesome because Peter's mom turns around and she cooks him dinner. It's, you know, this beautiful story. But as you can imagine, as Mark goes on, what happens is people in the community find out that Jesus can heal people. And so that night, um, dozens and dozens of people flood the home, and Jesus spends all evening and night healing people. Well, the next morning, uh, you know, the disciples wake up, and guess what? There are more people trying to be healed. In fact, it says from all over the region, people have come to be healed by Jesus because they heard what happened the night before. And so Peter goes, you know, to wherever Jesus is asleep, and he's like, where's Jesus? Let's go find him. But unfortunately, when they get to the room, Jesus isn't there. In fact, they have no idea where Jesus is. And so the disciples start scouring the land to try to find Jesus. There are all of these people needing to be healed. Where in the world is Jesus? Well, they finally find him on a hillside. And guess what he's doing? He's praying by himself on the hillside. And Peter comes up to Jesus. And he says, where have you been? There are all of these sick people who need you. And you know what Jesus' answer is? He says, come, let us be going so that we can go on to other villages and towns so that I may preach the gospel. That is why I have come. And friends, if you contemplate that story, not only did Jesus wake up early after a long night to pray, he also was faced that morning with two seemingly good options. Option A, stay and heal people. Could God get glory out of Jesus healing more people? Did that seem like a wise thing to do? Sure. Would it also be prudent and wise for Jesus to not just heal people physically, but preach the gospel for the whole world so that they would not just live a few more lives, years of life on this earth, but that they would live forever in the kingdom of God? I mean, how was Jesus able to choose between two good options? He did it because he steeped himself in prayer. And so what I'm telling you, friends, is in the next coming days and weeks, when you make all kind of hard decisions, should we send the kids to daycare or not? Should we, you know, leave town or should we not? It's going to be very difficult for you to make godly decisions if you are not steeped in prayer. And also, if you are not making the gospel and God's glory your main determining factor. That was how Jesus made that decision. So all that to say, um, let me just sort of recap. Uh, what I'm suggesting to you, Christian, is that uh, you and I, we're not supposed to live in panic. You know, over and over again, the Bible says, do not be afraid. Um, and so is there going to be anything substantively different between you and your neighbors? Is your fear level going to match, you know, your neighbors? Or is it going to be set to the tuning frequency of Scripture, which says, do not be afraid? Um, you have been called for a purpose. The Lord saw fit to stick you here and not the Cayman Islands. That is God's providence on your life. You are alive in Southern Oregon in 2020. And God has work to do through his people. So we walk by prayer, not panic. And then you and I, we need to be embracing prudence and not pride. 
The last point I'll, I'll make uh, is very simple, and it's simply this. Uh, we need to move now as the church of Jesus Christ. Now is the time to move from complacency to compassion. Um, listen to what Jesus Christ says. Uh, he's talking to believers at this point. In John 13, uh, the night Jesus was betrayed, he says these words. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another in the Costco line. Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another on Facebook, right? By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And the point I want to make there is based on the context, contextually, based on what Jesus is saying and to whom he is saying it, he is talking specifically to Christians, this is an in-house discussion, if you will. You know, have you ever had those meetings uh, with your kids? Your, you know, your friends say, this is how our family is going to operate. I don't care how the Johnsons or, you know, the, the Smiths or the, you know, the Rogers operate. This is how our family is going to operate. Now, that is very much what Jesus is doing with the disciples. What he's saying is the family of God, my disciples, we are going to be marked by our love for one another. And in the days and the weeks, uh, what this may look like for us, friends, is we need to be contacting uh, the elderly and the single in our congregation. If you know somebody who is single or a widow or a widower or who is on a very fixed income, uh, you, Christian, need to contact that person. Um, we are the body of Christ. Uh, I alone and the church staff can't do everything. And that's not how Jesus Christ sets up the church. We are here to equip the saints, the congregation, for the work of ministry. So if the Lord is bringing someone to mind right now, an elderly person, a widower, a widow, someone who is in a high-risk group, friends, they may be scared to go to the grocery store. And maybe they shouldn't be. But what good are you going to be if you're condescending? Show the compassion of Jesus Christ to them. Be patient to you as he's patient with us. Reach out to the people in our congregation that may need it. Also, Jesus will also say, not only are we supposed to love one another uh, in a you know, profoundly deep way, he also says, of course, in the Sermon on the Mount, how are we supposed to treat our enemies? He says, love your enemies. Love your enemies, pray for them. Even those who persecute you. I mean, how in the world, uh, how much more could Jesus make the case that Christians are to be markedly different than the people around them? We are to love our enemies, even those who badmouth us or persecute us. We're meant to pray for them. Uh, so uh, I was joking about, you know, the deacons or the elders getting in fistfights, but um, there really, really must be Christian. A, we must demonstrate a different posture right now. Uh, whether this is going to blow over in a few weeks or it's going to take months, um, it is on us as the ambassadors of Christ to love not just each other, but our whole community. Um, Jesus is not surprised. Uh, Jesus knew this day was going to come. Jesus chose in his providence to place you in this community, and he chose for you to listen to the words coming out of my mouth. The question is, are you going to choose to listen are you going to receive instruction? So let me just 
kind of wrap up with this. Um, there's, a, there's a professor who taught for years at the University of Washington up in Seattle. His name's Rodney Stark. He's at Baylor University now. And in 1997, he wrote a really famous book. He was a sociologist. And so what that means is he studies groups of people, and he wrote a book called The Rise of Christianity. And uh, he's not anti-faith or anything, but he's trying to understand why Christianity went from a small Jewish sect to basically the world's biggest religion. And it's continuing to grow, you know, 2,000 years later. So what is it sociologically that Christians did? Well, uh, he shows through some statistics and studies in his book that actually in the 200s, one of the things that exponentially grew the cause of Jesus Christ was in the ancient world in Rome, when plagues would regularly come through those communities and ravage communities and ravage the cities, it was very common for the religious leaders and the political leaders to skip out of town. But you know who didn't? It was the Christians. They felt called to their cities and called to their communities. And so what they did is they would go and they would minister to the people. And it turns out that that faith in action led many people to Jesus Christ. Because they would say things like, I know I'm supposed to care for my family, but you're not a part of my family, so why are you caring for me? Uh, friends, it may very well be a reality for several weeks and months to come that you and I are going to need to re-engage our neighbors and our friends and the people in our spheres of influence in a different way. Um, you may need to repent of some interactions you've had with your neighbors over the years and instead come to them with humility and patience and say, is there anything you need? Um, if you know of an older uh, person, a single person living near you, knock on their door. You know, I, I normally don't you know, recommend door-to-door -door evangelism, <laughs> you know, uh, but now is the time to talk to your neighbors and knock on the door and ask how they're doing. And if they say they're fine, what should you do? Point number one, pray with them. Pray with them. If they say, no, I'm fine, just pray with them. So, you know, we started off, and I said, you know, anxiety and worry and stress. Uh, you know, you've really been prepared the last several weeks to deal with this. Uh, but remember, um, anxiety is imagining a future where Jesus isn't in it. And worrying is living today in the present as if you can't obey the commands of Jesus. Uh, but friends, what would it look like for you to live today praying with your family, praying with your neighbors, and not giving in to panic? And what would it look like not to give over to the oldest trick in the book, the oldest sin, pride, but to walk by prudence? And then um, what would it look like to move from complacency to compassion to the people at high risk in our congregation, but also your neighborhood. And remember, love and compassion are proactive. Um, you know, when I was a youth pastor, it was amazing how hard it was to explain what it meant to love people to teenagers. Because what I would say is love is loving your fellow students. And for a 13-year-old, loving their other students often meant leaving them alone. <laughs> well, I don't make fun of that idiot over there. Well, everybody makes fun of her, but I don't say anything. And they, they would mistake silence and complacency for love. But ignoring people is the definition of a lack of love. 
um, are, are, are ignoring or looking past our neighbors and the sick is not going to hold muster, friend. Um, that's not going to work. Compassion is proactive. Uh, Jesus Christ did not wait for us to find God. He came in and he moved into the neighborhood. And then he started going to the other towns to preach the hope of the gospel. Pray, don't give to panic. Be prudent, don't be prideful. And move to compassion, not complacency. Remember I was telling you about Paul, how he was in that prison cell. And he says those amazing things like rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. Don't be anxious for anything, but by everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving to God, make your request be known to him. At the end of his life, before Paul, before Paul dies, um, when his life was very uncertain, Paul wrote to a young pastor named Timothy, and remember, he's imprisoned, and he says these words. He says, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, don't you love Paul? Remember the gospel. Jesus is alive. He's up to something. And then he says this, I am suffering and I'm bound with chains like a criminal, but the word of God isn't bound. Friends, that's the hope that the valley needs to know. The word of God isn't bound. Let's pray. Now, Father, we pray for uh, our mothers, if they're still living, that you would give them the peace of Jesus Christ. Uh, Lord, we pray for humility and for prudence. Uh, Lord, we pray for every individual uh, and family. Lord, that they would start new traditions of prayer if they don't already have them. Uh, Lord, we pray for repentance where there needs to be repentance. Uh, Lord, we pray for husbands and fathers to lead their families. Uh, Lord, we pray for our church that we would uh, be bold, Lord, that we would be willing to help the Rogue Valley and however you see fit. Uh, Father, be with our medical providers, our nurses, and our doctors, especially those in our own congregation. Lord, would you protect their lives, uh, protect their health. Lord, be with our country. Uh, Lord, would we not give over to panic. And Lord, we pray that for everyone who bows the knee to you in our country. Uh, Father, as anxiety levels and fears and concerns rise, uh, would the peace of Jesus Christ through your people be calming to our country? Uh, Lord, use us as you see fit. Thank you that you are alive. Amen.